Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Rick Benjamin. Good morning. Happy birthday to my wife, Dolores K. Benjamin. Yesterday was her birthday. December 12, 12, 12. And this week is my sister, Sue, my only sibling. Her birthday is December 17th. Happy birthday, Sue. I love you. How many of you are December birthdays? Let's just, let's just pray for these folks right now. <laughs> I, was, I always felt sorry for December kids. You know what I'm talking about now? I was born June 18th. That's right. Spread it out. Get a lot of presents twice a year. Some of you December babies, am I right? There's a whole woundedness happening here right now. You got a whole week of, uh, that's good. Some December people, my wife included, used to say it kind of felt like my birthday just kind of melded into one big Christmas thing. And, well, let's just have intercession for these folks right now. Just kidding. It is Christmas time. The message begins in the beginning, John chapter 1. These awesome, beautiful words, in the beginning was the word. Yeah, John wrote that to sound like the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. He did that on purpose, for sure. A new beginning in a way. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And here it is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. God and the word, the father and the son, the creator and the creator. And then that word of God, God's ultimate message became flesh. That's Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas Day, remembering the day, the night when the Word became flesh and we saw the Son of God. We saw all of His glory. And yeah, we started the series last week. Heaven to earth, we're calling it. That's what happened on Christmas. We have these cool little invitations. We're going to give these out. We're going to have a Christmas service on two weeks from the day. No, one week from the day. It's only one week away, December 20th. And then on Christmas Eve, 6 p.m., we'll have a service in here for you and your family and your guests. So bring them to Christmas Eve at Unite. The message last Sunday was about the wonder, the miracle, really, of Jesus humbling himself to do that, to come from heaven to earth, and about how very much Jesus gave up for you and for me. It's still awesome to think about what he gave up, and he got us, and it was worth it to him. I quoted this one last week. I'll I'll show it to you now. It's from Philippians 2. The man's name was J.B. Phillips. You see his name down there. He was a great pastor in the last century in London, and he did a whole translation of the New Testament called the Phillips Translation. And here's how he has it in Philippians 2. He, who had always been God by nature, did not cling to his prerogatives as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privilege by consenting to be a slave by nature and being born as mortal man. 
And having become man, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience, even to the extent of dying. And the death he died was the death of a common criminal. It is a wonder. It's amazing still that God did this in his great love for us. And Jesus did all this and gave it all up for you. The same man, J.B. Phillips, he had this great quote about what happened. Here's what he said. We must never allow anything to blind us to the true significance of what happened at Bethlehem so long ago. Nothing can alter the fact that we live on a visited planet. I love that too. We've been visited. Don't talk to me about UFOs and life on other worlds. This planet has already been visited. And he had a friend, you might know this man's name, C.S. Lewis. These two were friends and contemporaries. And Lewis said it this way, God landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. Yes, this world was occupied by an enemy, but God landed in human form, even though this world was occupied by the enemy, and that was Christmas. This past week was Pearl Harbor Day. You might have thought about it on December 7th, what happened then back in 1941. It got me thinking about something that happened on another day, about three years after Pearl Harbor Day. The greatest invasion in military history was D-Day. June 6, 1944. I have some photographs of D-Day. It was the Allied land, air, and sea operation on the beaches of Normandy, France, 76 years ago. They were coming to save the world, honestly. And I looked into this. 13 countries. It wasn't just the U.S. and Great Britain. Poland was there and New Zealand and all these countries. They called them the Allies. How cool is that? The Allies came in this great invasion. Over 156,000 men on D-Day. That's amazing. Almost 7,000 ships. There's some of them in the picture right there coming across that English Channel, including these landing craft. We have a photograph of them, too. When they came to those beaches, and the Germans, the Nazis knew they were coming. I think about the courage of those guys and those landing craft heading toward that beach, they knew what was going to happen when they got there. I'm amazed by that. There was 3,000 planes, bombers, and fighters, and all these gliders, and they brought in bombs and also dropped paratroopers, you know, all over Normandy, all across France. It was 50 miles wide. The battlefield was 50 miles of beach and coastline. Amazing. Anybody have anyone in your family who was there? A D-Day, anybody in your background? Dolores' dad, he came later and he fought with General Patton in Europe in World War II and the big red one, they called it. I had a cousin that died in Europe during that war, my, my dad's cousin, really. Anybody been to Normandy, France? You've been to the cemeteries there and seen that place? I'd love to go. How awesome to see what happened because they were all heroes. I talked to a guy once who was part of Abel Company that was made famous by Band of Brothers, you know. The man lived here in Anchorage. You might not have known that. And I called him and talked to him about it one day. And he was very humble about it. He said, no, the heroes were the guys that are still there. Over 4,000 people gave their lives that day on D-Day. 
4,000. Now, what happened? Well, they won that day and established a beachhead, literally on the beaches. That's where it began, right there. And that was the foothold that led to the liberation of Europe and the end of World War II almost a year later. And the people of France and Europe, whenever they saw them coming, they welcomed them all as heroes. Hooray! You're here! You got here! You saved us! You set us free! It was like that. My father-in-law used to talk about that a little bit. They would come to these little towns in Belgium and all these countries. and People would come out and give them flowers and just, you saved us. And then, of course, when they came to those horrible concentration camps and discovered what was happening there and liberated those places, can you imagine the people inside are thinking, it's over. We're not going to die. We're alive. <laughs> and imagine how they felt about those troops coming in and setting them free. What a story. Wow. So we still remember D-Day every year in June. That was a great invasion and a great victory. But today I'm here to tell you about an even greater invasion in history. God's invasion into this enemy-occupied world. I've got a picture of his invasion. There it is. God's invasion was a baby. So awesome. It's a photograph from a film called The Nativity. It's a beautiful movie about Christmas and the birth of Jesus. There she is, that special lady, Mary. There's Joseph. What a wonderful guy he was. There's God's invasion sitting in her lap. It was kind of a stable. I think it was a stable made out of a cave, actually. Israel is full of limestone and caves every place. And Bethlehem is on the mountains of Israel, and there's caves around there. They think it was a cave that was turned into like a barn. So God's invasion was a baby, not an army. Would you say not tanks? That's right. D-Day was Christmas night. And there's a verse in Galatians 4 that says, When the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, right on time. We don't know what date it was. It probably wasn't December 25th. That doesn't matter. He came on that night, whenever the date was. That was God's invasion. And the beachhead wasn't a beach. It was a stable, a little cave in a tiny village called Bethlehem. And that was ground zero. The invasion has begun. <laughs> I wore my Christmas invasion necktie today. A precious friend of ours, her name's Marie, she gave me this tie. And it shows Bethlehem and the star and Mary and Joseph and the angels. I've been to Bethlehem. Who's been to Bethlehem here? A few of us have. I've been there a couple times. Uh, it's a pretty big city now, actually. It's right next to Jerusalem. It's on what they call the West Bank, if you know about that. And it turns out I have some friends that live in Bethlehem, and they're Palestinian Christians. You might not know this, but many Christians in Israel are Palestinian Christians. And I've been to their home and had wonderful Middle Eastern food and hospitality, and then they took us to Bethlehem. Last time I was there was seven years ago. Now, Bethlehem knows what happened there. Like, they, they know we are the Bethlehem, that Bethlehem. That's our town right here. 
And now it's a big city, and they celebrate Christmas all month long. It's already started in Bethlehem. It's a whole month long thing. Of course they know thousands of people come from all over the world to be in Bethlehem for Christmas. I got a picture of that too. There it is. <laughs> so it's a pretty big deal. Uh, in the middle of that somewhere is this very old church. You can see it's made out of rocks, and it's called the Church of the Nativity. And they're pretty sure this is the right spot, as a matter of fact. And if you go inside there, you have to go way, way down, and I'll show you this. That's ground zero. That's where the invasion started. Now, it didn't look like that. <laughs> okay. So they've decorated this spot. It's called the Grotto like a cave, and you can go down in there. I've been down there. You can touch it, and people pray and think about what happened there. That's where it all began. The invasion began, but it was silent and invisible for 30 years. It was a stealthy invasion. So we fast forward now 30 years after Christmas to this. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, are you with me now? Christmas plus 30 years. Here we go. John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What did he say? Repent means turn around. The message says, Change your life. God's kingdom is here. He was the forerunner. He was the proclaimer. He was there to prepare the way. He said the kingdom is coming. He didn't say the Messiah is coming. He didn't even say Jesus is coming. He said the kingdom is near. And in the very next chapter, watch this, Matthew 4. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying the exact same words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He picked up that message. Change your life. God's kingdom is near. Now, what did it mean? Kingdom? They're proclaiming a kingdom. They're saying the kingdom is near. All right. At this time, when Jesus came, saying the kingdom of heaven is near, they were under another kingdom. It's the Roman Empire. You know all about this from Western Civ class and all of that. You know, they dominated the world. They were brutal and oppressive. So many people in Israel were hoping there would be a different kingdom. We don't like this one we got now. They were hoping the new kingdom would mean a political military kingdom that would overthrow Rome and set them free. You know, they were just independent a century before, and they're celebrating that now. It's called Hanukkah, and Hanukkah was the Jewish celebration of their independence after Greece and before Rome. They were free for a while, and they loved that, but now it was all gone. So when they heard someone say the kingdom is near, they were saying, good, bring it. We're sick of being in bondage and being taxed and being brutalized by this pagan empire. Bring on the new kingdom. They thought this kingdom would set them free. Later, they began to realize the kingdom John and Jesus were talking about wasn't like that at all. And then they became offended, and they rejected Jesus and his message. That's later. Here's one in John 17. New Living Translation. We got that one? I'll read it. Listen. It's about the kingdom and what they were thinking. 
One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when, all the, when will the kingdom of God come? Like you've been talking about it. Bring it. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. What? He kept saying things like this. Listen to the words. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand, he would say. The kingdom is among you, in your midst, he would say. The kingdom of God has come upon you. How? I'll tell you how. The kingdom was here because the king was here. That's how. Jesus was the kingdom of heaven. He's saying in so many words, kingdom of heaven, you're looking at it. It's me. I'm near. I'm among you. I'm here. That's what it's all about. Somebody called Jesus the presence of the future. I love that. Jesus was the presence of the future. What's the future look like? We already know. He's been here. He showed us. The future looks like Jesus himself. Here's the title today. Jesus was heaven on earth. Because he brought it with him when he came. So awesome. And my footnote says this. The kingdom of heaven is the reign of God that he brings about through Jesus Christ. His establishment of God's rule in the hearts and lives of his people. The overcoming of all the forces of evil. The removal from the world of all the consequences of sin, including death and the creation of a new order of righteousness and peace. And that's the kingdom he's talking about. And the kingdom was in him. He was bringing it. Jesus was heaven on earth. A simple definition, the kingdom, listen, break the word down, is where the king has dominion. Wherever the king has dominion, that's the kingdom. That's the kind of kingdom he brought. I get excited about this, which means I get louder. I apologize for that. I sort of apologize for that. I am excited about this. I hope you will be too. Look what he said in, in Luke chapter 4. This is also early in his ministry. After the 30 years, soon after he started preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, he went to the synagogue and he got to read the Bible, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61. This is what it said. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Synagogue, mic drop. <laughs> because they all knew Isaiah was talking about himself, about Isaiah and how God's Holy Spirit used Isaiah to be a prophet and so on. But Jesus is saying, this is now. This is today. This is me. This is Jesus. They call it Jesus Manifesto. Jesus, what are you here to do? All of that right there. We sang about it today. Setting people free, breaking chains, fear gone, bowing to the power of the name of Jesus. That's why he came. That's what he did. So in Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Do you see it? Every time he taught the truth, 
people's minds were changed. The kingdom just grew in a mind of a person who now is believing what God knows is true. Every time he preached the good news, people would hear it, and they would believe, and they would repent and change their lives. And guess what? That life just came under the dominion of the king. So the kingdom is growing one person at a time. Every time he healed somebody, I mean, he got up every day, especially Saturday. <laughs> Who can I heal today? Let me go find somebody. And he'd set them free. And what just happened? The kingdom advanced in that person's life. They're healed. They're delivered. They're free. And especially that ministry of deliverance where he would encounter demon spirits, and they would scream and make a spectacle, and he didn't care. He wasn't afraid. He took care of them every time, by a word sometimes. He said in Luke 11, verse 20, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See it? It was like a hostage release mission. <laughs> You've been held hostage by this enemy. I came to get you. We're here to get you out. You're going to be free. That was Jesus. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Let's break this down. The devil was occupying this world. In a way, he was the king of this world. Jesus came into enemy territory. And right there, Jesus said, the devil is a strong man. Did you see it? That's who he's talking about right there. But then he said, someone stronger attacks and overpowers him. Guess who that is? That's Jesus. I love this notion. We think of Jesus as gentle, and he was, and kind, and he was. But Jesus is on the offense here. Like I said, you get up in the morning, let's go out and give the devil a headache again today. That's right. Let's go across this lake and find this poor man who lives alone in those tombs. We're going to set him free. Yes. Jesus is, is proactive. He's initiating, he's engaging conflict on purpose because he knows I'm the stronger one. I'm attacking and overpowering him. And his kingdom is falling apart. So awesome. That's Jesus. Every time he drove out a demon, the enemy lost some ground, lost some territory that he was occupying before, and the kingdom of heaven just grew. Jesus said once in Luke 19, verse 10, I looked it up this morning, the Son of Man came. He knew that he came. He called himself the man from heaven. He knew where he came from. It wasn't Bethlehem. It wasn't Nazareth. It was heaven. He knew that. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Don't you love how Jesus accepted people? Don't you love how Jesus loved people? Poor people loved him. He didn't make them feel inferior because of poverty. One Bible verse says the common people heard him gladly. They just loved to hear him talk, just to be around him. Lepers, the untouchable people of that generation. What did Jesus do? You know, he touched them. He went and found them. He didn't have to touch anybody to heal them. He did it because compassion. He accepted them. Women who were inferior and abused, he, he restored them. He taught about them. He valorized them. They were his disciples even. Children, he accepted them. The big bad disciples said, get those children away from him. Jesus said, shh, bring those kids in here right now. Because this, this is the word to use. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom is, he said. Gentiles, 
the Roman centurion, the lady who had a possessed daughter. She was a Canaanite. He accepted outsiders. Yes, real outsiders. Sinners. Prostitutes. They called Jesus a friend of sinners. It was an insult. It's a great compliment. He was a friend of sinners. He is the friend of sinners. And do you know, every time he accepted these marginalized people, you know what he did? He kind of healed them twice. Like the woman who was bleeding all the time. Remember that sad story? You know what? She was unclean. She couldn't approach God. She had, couldn't be around people. So when he healed her, he healed her twice. He healed her body, and he healed her back into her own community. The man in the tombs, what did Jesus tell him when he was delivered? Go home. Jesus sent him home. He got to be with people again, his family. He wasn't the crazy boogeyman in the graveyard anymore. <laughs> over and over again, when he would heal those lepers, you know, you know what a leper had to do? A leper had to walk around. If they were anywhere near people, they had to say it loud. What a horrible life. Jesus healed those people. And he said, go show yourself to the priest, and you can go home. You're back with your people. He was constantly doing that. Okay, I'm using the metaphor of an invasion, like a great military invasion like D-Day. This invasion started with the baby on Christmas. Here's another metaphor. You're going to like this one. The world had a pandemic. There was a disease that was so contagious and killing us, and so God injected, not the vaccine, the cure. <laughs> and it started small, and it grew at the beginning, and the healing has spread ever since. And here's the metaphor Jesus gave. It's in Matthew 13. They say never do mixed metaphors. He did it all the time, by the way. So here we go. Matthew 13, it's called a parable. A parable is a simple story with a spiritual truth or like a moral. A parable compares something natural to something spiritual. Here's the simple parable Jesus told about this. The kingdom of heaven, we're still talking about the kingdom. What's your kingdom like? I'll tell you what it's like. It's like a mustard seed. What? <laughs> I had to look it up. I'll tell you what I found out. A mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in the branches. I got a picture of one. There it is. That's a fingertip. That's a mustard seed. It turns out there are tinier seeds, like orchid seeds. They're like the size of a grain of salt, I found out. So this is like the, the tiniest seed you would plant in the garden, probably. And it grows into a bush, and it grows into a tree, sometimes 30 feet tall. It isn't a redwood or something. It's a big tree, but the point is not how big the tree gets. The point is this. Tiny beginning, disproportionately huge growth. That's the point. Geometric growth, exponential growth, right? Little tiny seed. Here's what it means. The field is the world. Jesus kept saying that. The field is the world. The tiny seed is Jesus who came from heaven to earth at Christmas. And Jesus was, like I said, heaven on earth, walking around every day for three and a half years during his ministry. Then on Good Friday, he died on the cross. 
It was planted in the ground like a seed for three days and three nights. And one time he said, if this seed doesn't fall to the ground and die, it'll abide alone. But if I fall to the ground and die, it'll produce so many seeds. On Easter Sunday, he rose again and sent his people into all the world, the field, to continue what he started. You see, he was just getting it started. It was just the beginning. It's supposed to keep going, to extend the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I'll tell you how it went. Honestly, the tree grew very slowly. It stayed in Jerusalem and around Israel for a while. God had to finally kind of kick him out and pull him out. Said, get out to the world. So it began to grow over in Ethiopia, over in India. And then most of all, this man Paul took the tree into Europe, you know, and it went west for a long time. And for a while, that tree just filled up all of Europe, really. And then again, it kind of went dormant for a long time, honestly. And it began to kind of spread to, like, Great Britain and over in North America. And then something else began to happen. The tree had a growth spurt. It began to grow back to India and over to China and down to the islands of the Pacific and all around the world. And so South Korea and all these countries today are almost completely Christian. And by the way, the, the tree today is growing like crazy whether you know it or not. Yes, even in 2020. South of the equator, Africa, South America, exploding. In some places, the tree goes underground for a long time, deep roots. I'm talking about China now. And then, boom, explosive growth in China. Millions of believers out of these underground churches and home churches and stuff. It's still growing today. And Jesus even told that, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And we're not there yet. No, 2020 isn't the last day of the last days. This tree has a long way to go and a lot more growing to do. And, you know, he even taught us to pray for it. Remember what he said in Matthew 6? This then... It's how you should pray. Say it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we pray that way. Jesus started this 2,000 years ago, and it's still growing, and it's still going, and we're still part of it, and we're still praying for it. Come back next week. Hear how the world can see heaven on earth in you. It was Jesus. He was the kingdom walking around in person, the word made flesh. Jesus was heaven on earth, but now God wants the world to see heaven in us, in our marriages, in our families, and yes, in our churches. A church should be a little outpost of the new kingdom. A friendly outpost. We're here in love and peace, but yeah, we're here, and we're different. <laughs> we have a different king. We have a different kingdom. The tiny invasion that began with a baby in Bethlehem has led to the liberation of billions. I'm not exaggerating now. With a B. Liberation of billions of people from the enemy and from sin and from sickness and oppression. And I'm so glad that tiny seed of Bethlehem was planted and grew and became this giant tree that reached clear around the world and reached a boy living in Anchorage, Alaska. And that was me. The tree got to me. The kingdom came near. The kingdom was here. The king came to me. And I became one of those birds up in that tree. 
speckle birds, all kinds of birds, a few dirty birds, all kinds of birds. <laughs> Poor ones, people that had problems, people that were dysfunctional, people that have issues. That's right. I'm in the tree. I'm one of those birds that I hope you are too. And today, that great tree, the kingdom of heaven is reaching to you. I don't know where you're at. Is the king your king? Which dominion are you living in this morning? I'm serious. The kingdom is near you. I'll say what John said. Repent. The kingdom of God is upon you. I'll say what Jesus said. Repent. Change your life. The kingdom of God is coming to you right now. Wow. To liberate people, to heal people. Heaven is here. Heaven has already come. The invasion has begun, and it's reached all the way to you today. The kingdom is near. What am I saying? Jesus wants to invade your world and set you free and change your life. And just like those World War II heroes, all of us who know Jesus and we adore him, he's our hero. And we say to Jesus, we're so glad you came. You got here. We're not going to die. Because of you, we love you. Thank you. You set us free. That's how real it is. We're going to worship him and sing a song here in a moment. And every year, we still remember God's D-Day, Christmas Day, Christmas night, the day the invasion began. And one day, guess what? Here's the rest of the story. One day, the king will come again from heaven to earth the second time. And this time it'll be with armies and riding on a white horse and all the armies of heaven and all that. It'll be a big time invasion when he comes again. And the kingdom of the world will fill this world and the universe. It'll happen. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We pray that prayer until the day that prayer becomes a reality. Heaven to earth. Jesus was heaven on earth. Aren't you glad? Are you excited about it? And now it's us. Now it's in us. And now it goes from us to our world. Would you all please stand? We are going to sing a song of worship here together. There'll be people at the front. These are mature, quality people of character. They're here to pray with you and pray for you. If you, if you feel like the kingdom is coming to you right now and you want to respond, get up here right away. If you need to be set free, I'm talking about addictions and addictions and all that kind of stuff. Habits. If you need to be healed in your physical body, the kingdom is near. He's here to set you free. He's here to heal you both ways. So as we begin to sing, you know, I want you to just come. Don't even wait. And they're going to pray with you. And the kingdom is going to advance today. Take some more ground. Take some more territory away from that evil enemy. Because the stronger one is here to set you free. We're going to pray a prayer. I hope you don't mind this. We're going to pray a prayer together. And then we'll sing and we'll close. So if it's in your heart, listen. And then repeat after me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming. From heaven to earth. For bringing heaven to earth. Thank you that your kingdom has come to me. You saved me. You set me free. You are my king. You are my Lord. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.